Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry. And uh, this is part two of the Evil Knievel saga, the sequel. Yeah. Who knew? We genuinely didn't know. Yeah, we kind of. That's why we didn't set it up as part one of two because we got into it. And we're like, dude, this thing can't be an hour and a half long. No, I guess it could, but no, we found our sweet spot is not an hour and a half of content. We did a one-parter on Isaac Newton, but a two-parter on <laughs> Evil Knievel. <laughs> uh, all right, so where we left off, we'll just get right into it, huh? Yep. Uh, Evil Knievel had just completed the. Caesar's Palace jump. Completing it with his head. <laughs> yeah. And smashed pelvis. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, he was in a coma for 29 days Yeah, after that crash. Yep. These were not light injuries. No, and, and uh, we left out a very important point, right? When he went and did that jump, yeah. on his way out to the jump area, Oh yeah. he took 100 bucks, put it on the blackjack table, mm-hmm. promptly lost, Yep. hit the bar, did a shot of wild turkey, and went mm-hmm. out and jumped. Apparently with two showgirls, one under each arm. Right. That was, In headlocks. <laughs> that was his style. He uh, lived hard because he was from the hard land of Butte, Montana. Right. So he lands, right? And he didn't land on his his bike. No. Like, I, I can't remember what stuck, but something stuck. I guess his back tire, was it? It was usually his back tire that gave him the trouble. He well, always almost made it, like you were saying. <laughs> yeah. Something, I think it was his back tire. I'm trying to visualize the crash. Yeah. But his his handlebars just get pulled right out of his hands because yeah. the, the bike bucked down. Well, and it's just such an impact with that 300-pound bike. Mm-hmm. Um, he just couldn't hold on. Right. And so once he didn't have the handlebars anymore, he didn't have control. No. And he goes flying off. Oh, it's tough to watch. It is tough to watch. Especially in slow motion, which is how I saw it. Yeah. It's the only way to see it. Sure. <laughs> Um, so he has finished this jump with his head, like you said, and his star is bigger than ever. Yeah. Like because of this crash, he's more famous than ever. He's making 25 grand per performance by 1968. And it was after the Caesars jump where he first starts to plant the seed to the press that he wants to jump the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I have a feeling this just came out of his mouth. Like what's the biggest thing I can think of? Sure. Um, but he started a, a genuine, seemingly genuine attempt to get permission from the National Park Service mm-hmm. to do this Grand Canyon jump over yeah. the years. He needed permission from, uh, I think it was the Interior Department, and they were like, no, absolutely not. And he said, why? <laughs> yeah. And they were like, we really have to tell you why you can't yeah. have permission to jump that? <laughs> um, But he did keep it up. It was a drum that he beat, like, Almost constantly during interviews. Yeah. He would say, like, you know, coming one day I'm going to be able to jump the Grand Canyon. That's going to be my next big trick. And then in the meantime, he would set up these other exhibitions. Yeah. And and, and Chuck, you said he was making 25 grand a performance. Yeah. He was doing a performance a week for a while there. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was rich. Yeah. He was a wealthy man at this point. Uh, in 1971, in January, on the 8th and 9th, he broke two records. He sold out the Houston Astrodome twice over. Wow. Two shows in a row. Mm-hmm. He sold out the Astrodome in 1971. Mm-hmm. 
uh, which was a record. And then um, in February, he broke an actual jump record uh, by jumping 19 cars on that Harley XR750. That's pretty impressive. It's funny when I'm looking at my my liner notes on this, because sometimes I'll just put kind of what's going on so it reminds me. It just says jump, crash, jump, crash, jump, crash, <laughs> over and over and over. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like he would, he crashed a lot. Yeah, like the, he did. The, the Pepsi truck one. It turns out it was 13 Pepsi trucks. Yeah. Um, he crashed that one. That one, it wasn't necessarily his fault. Like yeah. he had a short, he had a fairly short run up distance. Yeah. And it went pavement, grass, pavement. Right. Not ideal. Yeah, again, he didn't really think through. Uh, I don't know if he didn't or think he didn't it through. Or he didn't people thinking it through on his behalf. Yeah, well, he would just do whatever, like I said earlier, like, well, this is how much room I have. Was Not it, like, well, maybe I don't have enough room. Right. Maybe this is a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, I said I'd do it. So if I die, yeah. oh, well. Well, and his famous uh, quote he always said was, it's, it's not about crashing, you know, it's about getting up and trying it again. Mm. You know, it's kind of a trite saying. It's direct from success through a positive mental attitude. Yeah, probably so. His favorite book. So um, the Grand Canyon thing is building steam um, in some ways as far as leaking it to the press. But the government is still like, no, you can't do that. Uh, little boys all over the country are, uh, I think his one quote was, little boys want to be like me. Men want to be me, and women want to be with me. <laughs> Just FYI. Yeah, he definitely thought a lot of himself. <laughs> uh, so finally, officially, the U.S. Department of Interior said, I'm denying you airspace over the Grand Canyon. This is not going to happen. Please stop calling us. Yes. Yeah. So what does he do? Well, he apparently was on a plane ride, and he was over um, Idaho, and noticed that there was a pretty good-sized canyon that was formed by the Snake River yeah, around. Said, what, um, what's that down there? That looks like a canyon. <laughs> yeah, I'll jump that. There's more than one canyon in the U.S. <laughs> and he uh, he decided to go check it out. And outside of Twin Falls, Idaho, he found a little area that was just perfectly wide. Um, there was enough run up on either side for him to try to jump it. Well, he didn't need much run up. And he uh, well, he didn't know at the time. He thought he was going to use a motorcycle. <laughs> Did he um, really? Yeah, he did. A rocket cycle. <laughs> okay. Um and uh he uh most importantly though it was is privately owned. Yeah. So he didn't need permission from any kind of government agency. Exactly. Although he did actually. The, uh, he had to get permission um from the local, I think the county to register the vehicle. Is that it? Uh-huh. And they registered it, it as an airplane even though it was actually a rocket, a steam-powered rocket. Yeah, he leased 300 acres for 35 grand and said September 72 it's going down. ABC Sports said we're not going to pay whatever you're asking. So he said, "Fine. Remember how this worked out last time?" Yeah. Uh I'm going to hire Bob Aram who was a boxing promoter. Still is, I think. Yeah, his name sounded familiar. Uh unless he's passed away, but he was. Uh for Top Rank Productions, he said, "All right, you handle the filming." And we'll do this newfangled thing called closed circuit TV. Mm-hmm. Show it in movie theaters. Yeah, we'll all get, we're all going to get rich. Hired a subcontractor, and actually got engineers for this. And they built that X one Sky Cycle, which, like you said, I've, I'd forgotten. It was going to be a rocket motorcycle, right. a rocket powered motorcycle. And they built it and tested it, and it went 
right yeah. down, a mile down mm-hmm. into the river. Yeah. And he said, maybe we should just do it like a straight up rocket. Yeah. And this, this dude, this, uh, engineer, so he hired an engineer named Doug Malawicki. Yeah. And Doug Malawicki subcontracted the actual, like, design and construction out to another, um, aeronautics engineer. His name is Robert. I can't figure out how to say this guy's last name. Uh, it's spelled like Truax. I think it's Truex. Truex, not yeah. Tro. Yeah, I think I remember the documentary. It was Robert Truex. Okay, so Robert Truex was the guy who actually designed and I believe built the um the rocket, the steam powered rocket. Yeah, the X two that um that Evil Knievel used to jump the Snake River Canyon, right? Yeah. And as you'll see, it didn't go according to plan. So this guy's son is the one who is behind this jump that's being done by Eddie Braun in September. Yeah. Because he wants to vindicate his father. That this thing would have made it right. had this um, this parachute not deployed and kept him from making uh-huh. it. So he's like, he wants to show that this this would have worked and that his dad, who's had lots of scorn heaped on him over the years, including publicly by Evil Knievel, yeah. um, that it was all quite unfair. Well, we're getting something in a minute, which makes him seem like a bigger jerk even. Okay. Uh, but things are going well. Well, <laughs> that's not exactly true. September 8th, 1974... It's going to go down. Uh, this thing had turned into the party of the century. Like a hippie Hells Angels yeah. biker party. A huge one. And this is like Twin Falls, Idaho. is not like a hippie biker town. It was like no. a normal God-fearing country town. Yeah. And all of a sudden, thousands of hippie biker weirdo druggies show up and yeah. start partying in town. Yeah, they were hammered. They were drunk. They were... High on grass. Setting fires to stuff. <laughs> setting fires. It was completely out of hand. They d- had no idea it was going to attract this many people Did, uh, and became like a three-day party. Right. Did you say grass? Yeah, they were high on grass. <laughs> it was 1972 terms. Oh, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Gotcha. Now I'd say weed, probably. Herb. The herb. Nugs. <laughs> so uh it's a huge party. It's like Woodstock. People are drunk out of their minds. Yeah. High on the grass. Yeah. I bet you there's some LSD going around. Maybe even. Maybe some bennies. And on this documentary I saw, there was a real fear. They had a temporary fencing put up to keep people away because the lip of the canyon yeah. is just a straight drop. Right. So a they, mile down. Yeah. So they had this temporary fencing. And we'll talk about the jump in a second, but when it actually goes down, they bum rush this thing because you couldn't see what was going on. I know, dude. And there was a real fear that there were going to be mass deaths. Like lemmings. Yeah, where people would get shoved off the lip of this canyon because the people up front would just run and stop. Right. And then 5,000 people behind them. I don't even know how many people. It was more than 5,000 even, I think. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there were just going to be like hundreds and hundreds of people shoved unwillingly to their death. Yeah, I guess more like the Three Stooges than Lemmings. I mean, that could have happened. Yeah. Yeah, if you look at I don't know how pictures, it did. I saw a video of this, um, and there's just people like just looking over the ledge. Yeah. I don't know how it did neither. It's, it's like you just describing it scares me. I <laughs> know. You got a little shudder. So here's what happens. Evil Knievel is not feeling good about this. He literally goes to his family in the trailer and says goodbye and they interviewed his family and they they were like this sucked 
Like we really thought we were saying goodbye to our father. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. Like we thought he was going to die that day. No, like PT Barnum BS going on. Right. Like we thought we were going to see his, see his death in front of our face. So he goes off and, um, the promoter apparently was like, had these armed guards. He said that they looked like they were there for the, the crowd control. He said they were there to make sure he got in that rocket. <laughs> he said, because I was not going to let this not go down. Yeah. With that scene going on there. <laughs> <laughs> So he gets in, they do the countdown, this, uh, steam rocket goes off. It was built from the, from, I think, the fuel tank of a jet? Yeah. It's like a little one-man rocket. Yeah, and they, like, superheated this water, I think, Mm -hmm. like, 500 degrees. Right. To create this blast of steam. It takes off, and almost immediately the, the parachute is deployed. Yeah. Which provides drag, and it did not get very far. No, but apparently if you look at the initial trajectory, it, it was right on target, which is why the, the engineer's son is like, it would have worked. Right. It, it will work if the parachute doesn't deploy. And in the, in the engineer's defense, the, um, promoter and Evil Knievel said, we're not testing this. Yeah. We already spent all a bunch of money on that X2 cycle or the X1 rocket cycle. Yeah. Um, we, we so just make it right. So they had one parachute. They didn't test it. And when he did this jump, it was the jump as well as the only test that they'd yeah. done, right? <laughs> so the parachute did deploy, but they, they think that had it not deployed, he, he totally would have made it. But the parachute did deploy. Yeah. So he didn't make this jump and started drifting, luckily attached to a parachute, yeah. into a mile deep canyon. Yeah. The thing is, I can't believe they did this. They had him harnessed in. His jumpsuit was like strapped to the seat of yeah. this thing. So he had no way of getting out. He had, to, he needed help to get out. And apparently there was no one waiting in the canyon down below yeah. to help get him out. They were all on the other side of the canyon. So had he landed in the river, he would have drowned. Yeah. Because he had no way of getting out. Uh, luckily he landed. Within feet of the river. Yeah. So it goes a mile down, drifting slowly, totally up in the air. It's like a Plinko chip at this point. Uh-huh. No one knows where it's going to land. <laughs> and he landed within a few feet of the of the water yeah. so that he, he survived. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know how I teased you and said there's a little tidbit that makes him seem like a jerk? Mm-hmm. There is speculation that Evil Knievel pulled that shoot. Oh, really? Because he didn't think he was going to make this thing. And... And he might not have thought he was going to make it to begin with. And uh-huh. it was all just a big publicity stunt. And he knew that he could pull that chute as soon as he took off gotcha. and float safely down. Wow. So in the documentary, they talk about a little bit. I saw another VH1. Uh, what's the uh, behind the evil? Yeah. Something like that <laughs> where um, he was uh, or true Hollywood story, I think uh-huh. um, E-Network. And he um, <clears throat> they talk about it in there, too. They were like. His hand was on that lever. Like he was the one responsible for pulling that thing. Cause they huh. interviewed the engineer and he was like, I don't know how this thing, like it shouldn't have deployed. Like he was getting all the scorn. Well, yeah. He, he couldn't figure out how it deployed. And evil can evil even called him an idiot. He's like, I never liked that engineer. He was an idiot. Yeah. So that does make it way worse. Cause yeah. apparently also the engineer was very surprised to hear this because they were good friends. They'd become good friends over the course oh, sure. of this project. Now he's publicly calling him an idiot. Yeah. I think. He took that secret to his grave, so we'll never know. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, there was definitely speculation that he never intended to make that jump. I had not heard that. Yeah, which is pretty remarkable. Well, let's uh, let's take a break, um, and we'll come back because, believe it or not, he kept jumping. All right, Josh, Snake River Canyon is in the books. It is. And apparently he made like $6 million from that jump. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what he personally netted. And then spent it like in the next three weeks <laughs> on diamonds. Yeah, because... And goats. <laughs> like, yeah, we'll talk more about that later. Uh, all right, so now we move forward a few years. He's in between 72 and 75, does plenty of other jumps uh, and had plenty of other hospital stays. And then in uh, May 1975, in front of, once again, ABC's Wide World of Sports, The Thrill of Victory, The Agony of Defeat. Mm-hmm. You watched, that what was that still around when you were around? No, I watched the Laugh Olympics. <laughs> Wide World of Sports is like the biggest thing on TV on Sundays. Yeah. No, it was. I think it was on. It just never caught my fancy. Man, it was so great. Uh, the weekend, seriously, it was just all about cartoons with me. Yeah. You know, like there was that point where cartoons would start at like seven in the morning and then go to like ten thirty, eleven sometimes. Yeah. And then like non cartoons would start and it'd just be like That's when you take your nap. They even put this on TV. <laughs> you said and then I'd nap till prime time. Right. <laughs> uh so in seventy five he says, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna do the biggest jump of my career in England. I'm world renowned jumper at this point. Mm-hmm. I can go to London, England. Yeah, because again, not just like He's on the wide world of sports and he's known for the Snake River Canyon jump and like the Caesars Palace. There's the, um, stunt cycle toy was the largest selling toy of Christmas 1973. Yeah. He made a ton of money off that. Atari had a stunt cycle like video console in 1976. Oh yeah. Um, he, there were there were action figures. There's a whole like action figure line by Ideal. He was making mad cash. Yeah. From, just being a daredevil. Yeah, ads. He was a pitch man. Yeah. He was making money hand over fist. Yeah. And like we say over and over, spending it. And he was huge. He was just a huge star. It's such a 70s thing to be, you a know. A star for being a daredevil? Yeah. Yeah, it beats the 2010s thing of just being a star for being famous. No, agreed. You know, at least this guy was doing something. Yeah. Did Kim Kardashian ever put her life on the line? No. That's what I want to see. Being Paris Hilton's assistant, probably, <laughs> but she survived it. You can't, oh, she was her assistant? That's where she started out. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, what do you mean started out? She started out as a rich kid in Brentwood. She did, but she wasn't a celebrity by any means oh, yeah, until, sure. well, until that sex tape, but I think she was Paris Hilton's assistant at the time that came out. Huh. That's weird. Yeah. That is weird. You know, Paris Hilton has my same <clears throat> eye affliction, the ptosis. You, Paris Hilton... Forrest Whitaker. Tom York. Oh, yeah. He's got it, too, huh? Yeah. I might get that fixed one day. What's it, I don't think you should. It adds a tremendous amount of character. I don't know. It's easy to say when you don't have a droopy eyelid. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I think you should keep that vestigial tail. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Adds character. Yeah. I like it when you wag it. We'll see. What it's doing is it's it's inhibiting my vision somewhat. Well, then I could see that. You know, not a ton, but like when I lift my eyelid 
up all the way, I'm like, oh, I can see 15% more of the room. Right. There's the sky. Yeah. Anyway, that's my issue. And Not Paris. And Paris's. <laughs> so 1975, he's at Wembley Stadium, sold out Wembley Stadium in London, England, and he's going to jump. Did uh, you say how many people that is? Well, this says 90,000. The oh. other article said 70. Either way, that's a bunch. Between 70 and 90,000, let's I say. I don't think we could sell that, sell out Wembley. No, but we sold out two shows in London. Mm-hmm. So they clearly have a Jones for American, goofy, goofy Americans. Americans making <laughs> asses of themselves. Uh, so he jumps these AEC Merlin buses. These are not the double deckers, um, but they were still buses. And <laughs> it's a big jump. It's, I believe, his biggest to date. And he crashes, of course, breaks his back. Broke his back. Yeah. And in the very famous footage told Frank Gifford, I came in walking, I went out walking. Because Frank Gifford's like, get this guy's stretcher. Right. He's broken his back. And Evil's like, I'm walking out. Yeah. <laughs> and he did. He did. It wasn't smart, but he did it. Yeah. Uh, then he goes to another huge jump at King's Island Theme Park in Ohio. I've been there. I bet. Is it still around? I don't know, but I've been there. I went when I was a kid. It's clearly... Where is it? You know, I don't know. I was always a passenger. I have no idea what part of Ohio it's in. But it's clearly second banana to uh, Cedar Point. To Cedar Point. Pretty much everything is. In the world is second yeah. banana to Cedar yeah. Point. Yeah, no, this is a... Your your parents hate you, <laughs> so they take you to Kings Island instead of Cedar Point. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so he makes this jump at Cedar Point at Kings Island, and it is, at the time, the highest rated event in wild world wide oof it's a tough one wide world of sports history still still yeah oh, i guess so the show's not around right yeah <laughs> 163 feet successful jump i don't think he even crashed on this one yeah this is a all around good one for him yeah you got the buses it's at king's island successful set a record highest rated Everything's coming up aces on this one. It is coming up aces, and he says he's retiring. Yeah, yep. He's uh, he started to say that a lot, starting with this jump. After just about every jump, he'd be like, "That's it. I'm done. I'm never going to do it again." And then he would do it again. And actually, I believe he retired after. Uh, yeah, he retired after Wembley. Oh, okay. That's the famous line. Was I remember now? He crashed spectacularly, mm-hmm. grabbed the mic and told the stadium that you are the last people in the world who will ever see me jump. I will never, ever, ever, ever jump again. Ever. I am through. And then five months later, he jumped to King's Island. Right. And then retired after that one. Right. Then he retired after that one. He did another one um, shortly after that at the Kingdome in um, Seattle. Seattle. Actually, it was a year after that when he retired again. And that one, that was like Tyson's last fight. Like, he he jumped seven Greyhound buses, and I guess the crowd was fine with it, but yeah. he, he apologized for it being not so great. For not, like, being risky enough? Yeah, and, yeah. and so he retired again, and then he came back again. That's right. <laughs> and this time he was channeling the Fonz. Oh, yeah. He was going to jump a tank of sharks. He's going to literally jump the shark. Y- yeah. And he did. Well, he didn't. In uh, 1977 in Chicago... He saw Jaws, the movie, and said, let's just like, he kind of reminds me of my dad a little bit. Yeah. 
My dad has this weird, if he would have had a ton of money, uh-huh. he, w- he would have had this kind of weird excess. Yeah. Crazy ideas. Like the bomb shelter after Yeah, it was like after. these dudes of this generation, there was something, they were all crazy. Yeah, they still hadn't, they didn't get movies yet. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> um, so he says he's going to jump a pit of sharks, put it on TV, and during rehearsal, he has a really bad crash and actually severely injured a cameraman. Yeah, the guy lost his eye. Yeah. And I guess that was a really big deal, the evil Knievel. Yeah. He's, he was like, can't come back from that one. Nope. So did he not do the actual jump? No, I think he called it off. Had I been the cameraman, I would have been like, so I just lost my eye for nothing. Yeah. He's like, get in that shark yeah. tank. <laughs> at least do the jump. Uh, yeah. And apparently he sat on that footage for almost 20 years. And, uh, then there was finally a documentary, not the one I saw, but another one where he allowed that footage to be shown. Mm-hmm. And then he did retire. See, now this is smart. I'm sure the camera operator was like, Oh, you couldn't have retired before you took my eye out. Yeah. Huh? Not a week earlier, but that was the one where he finally is like, I'm done. And he had a great quote. It was a professional is supposed to know when he has jumped far enough. Good quote. It is a pretty good quote. And like you said, it wasn't just the Seattle jump that he, he, he started doing less risky jumps toward the end period that, that were like, I guess he lost his nerve maybe after Boise or, uh, Twin Falls to Snake River. Maybe. Cause it seems like that's where about it, it, it changed. Things changed. Although, no, I guess it would have been Wembley because you got to have a lot of nerve to try that. Yeah. So maybe after he broke his back, he was like, probably who knows. All right. Well, let's take another break here and we'll wrap it up with a little bit more on his private life and all those broken bones. Broken bones, Josh. You know the old rumor that he broke every bone in his body? Yeah. Not true. No. But he does hold a record for most broken bones. He does? Oh, yeah, man. Because he said he's broken 35 bones. Okay. That didn't seem like a record. 35 bones. 433 fractures of those 35 bones. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. And I believe both of those are records as far as Guinness is concerned. Well, when you look, the, his own website has a neat little chart where the injuries are broken up into fractured, broken, broken and replaced, and broken multiple times. The other one that I'm I'm curious about is crushed. Like he crushed his pelvis. Is that an actual medical term? You see it very yeah. frequently. What has to take place for a bone to be considered crushed? My interpretation of that, which is completely made up, okay. is that it's fractured so severely it goes beyond multiple fractures. They can't put Humpty back together into again? Into just crushed. Into powder, a fine powder? Well, that's what comes to mind. I'm sure that's not what happens. <laughs> but I think of like a big pile of like sawdust in his butt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if you look at his injury list, it's, you know, uh, skull, nose, teeth, jaw, left and right clavicle, sternum, upper vertebrae, <clears throat> right arm, left arm, all ribs. Pelvis three times, coccyx, both wrists, hip and ball socket, lower vertebrae, femur. Five times he broke his femur. <clears throat> Can you believe that? 
Yeah, uh, yeah. I, as a matter of fact, I can't. Uh, right knee, right shin, both ankles, toes. It looks like his left, below his femur on his left leg, he was virtually unscathed. Weird. Isn't that weird? Yeah. No, no, sh- no left shin, no left. Oh, he must have. He did say both ankles. Typically fallen in a certain fashion. Maybe. You know, this is ass these, over apple cart. I think is what they call it. <laughs> these are his bones too. This isn't taking into account the coma he was in and the multiple concussions he suffered. Yeah, and I, I think he there was like internal bleeding and things like that along the way too. Mm-hmm. And as as a result of this, there was um, there were rumors that still stand, although I couldn't find much in the way of substantiation of them that he was he took drugs himself, probably yeah. painkillers. Uh, apparently, his. Good friends were like he ate them like candy. Yeah. While grandstanding against drugs. So that was a really big part of what he was doing. And one of the reasons why he did become a role model to a whole generation of young boys was he, he had set himself up like that. He yeah. would, at the, at the beginning of every, um, show, he would basically do like a, a don't do drugs message. Yeah. Stay in school. Mm-hmm. Um, keep your word. And these were what what um, he considered his his core values. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, the idea that like he was doing drugs himself, it's uh, I I have the impression if he was, it was a very much an Elvis interpretation. Like these aren't drugs. My doctor gave them to me. Right. I'm completely hooked on them, but yeah, I yeah. got them from the doctor. I need them for pain. Right. Um, Bad not drinker. not like he was like hitting like bumps of coke or something before right, right. he was you know hitting the ramp. Yeah, he he was a bad drinker too. Huge, huge drink, drank lots of wild turkey. Yeah, he at one point he said he probably drank about a fifth of whiskey a day with beer chasers in between. That's a lot. Yeah, especially when you're trying to control a motorcycle jumping 163 feet over some Greyhound buses. Well, I don't think he would do those jumps wasted or anything, but he would like probably drink afterward. He would take his traditional shot of wild turkey right before. Okay, to so steal you the think nerves. he did it straight? Yeah, I don't think he was jump. Drunking, drunk, I'm, I'm drunk, curious. jumping. I'm very curious. You think? Yeah. But a lot of the stuff, a lot of the uh, dirt that we know about Evil Knievel came out in a book by his former publish- publicist yeah. named Shelley Saltman. Yeah, that was a, a big deal in the documentary. So I think uh, after the, the Snake River jump in 1974, Saltman published a, a book mm-hmm. about the jump. Um, and it was an authorized book. Yeah. But Saltman decided to to point out that um, working working for Evil Knievel, a day spent working for Evil Knievel was like spending three hours at the dentist without Novocaine. Yeah. Um, that the he he said that he abused he was abusive towards his family. Yeah. That he um, was totally hooked on drugs and drank and was immoral and all this other stuff. Just completely hung out all the guy's dirty laundry. May yeah. or may not have made up rumors. Well, and this is when you could still lead kind of a private life. Like, right. You know about this stuff now, mm-hmm. but, um, it's not like today. Like, if you're carousing women in bars, there's 10 people filming you with a cell phone. Right. And like, in, within minutes, it's like out on, yeah. on the internet. No, this is like, it took a, a tell all biography for yeah. this kind of stuff to get out. Right. Um, so Evil Knievel goes and finds the guy and, Attacks him with the baseball bat. Yeah. And he if, had two broken arms at the time. Yeah. If, Evil Knievel did. Oh, he did? Yeah. He like left the hospital with two broken arms and said, give me that bat and attacks his former good friend. Okay. 
like really badly. Well, he broke. Yeah, he shattered one of his arms. Yeah, the guy had his arm up to defend himself, and that arm got shattered. Yeah. Um, and this was where everything really went off the rails. Yeah. Um, he did six months for that. Mm-hmm. Six months in, in jail, and this is at a time when his star is as high as it it could have possibly been. Yeah. Um. Remember, he had those action figures from Ideal that he was making so much money? Yep. Going to prison actually voided his contract with them, so he lost all of his licensing fees from that. And that was a huge source of his income at the time. Yeah. Um, that him being in prison, he had started this daredevil craze, and there were lots of people nipping at his heels. Him going to jail opened up this huge vacuum to where every daredevil in in the world was trying to fill it now. Yeah. And there was actually this guy that um that House Stuff Works recently ran a great article on called The Human Fly. And his star rose because he was trying to fill this void left by Evil Knievel when he was in prison. So we're going to do a show on him too, right? We've got to. Yeah. Yeah. But so I won't say anything more. Okay. <laughs> um but but it was a big deal. This is where things like really Went downhill for him. But his son said, I read an interview with his son in The Guardian, his oldest son, Kelly, uh-huh. who I think is like kind of the the executor of his estate and everything. Um, he said that this this definitely was where it went downhill, but the, his life, his dad's life never circled the drain or anything like that. Right. He didn't like just go completely overboard or off the rails, despite the fact that like the family like lost all their finances within a few years. Yeah. Um, he oh, had to yeah, pay Shelly Saltman $12 million. Well, he didn't pay him a cent. Oh, he didn't? No. He was ordered to. Yeah, he was ordered to. Um, yeah, there was a lot of, uh, like, all the money just went away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the reason he had to serve his full sentence, he probably would not have had the judge not found out that in his prison work release program, he was being chauffeured in a limousine convertible back and forth and arranged for other inmates to get limousine transportation for their work release. Oh, yeah? So the judge didn't think that was very funny. Yeah. And said, you know what, you're going to serve your whole sentence. So he did six months. Did the full six months. And like you said, his beyond just losing money for the licensing, it just everything kind of went south for him after that yeah. in life. His star fate was fading. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not a great time to attack someone with a baseball bat. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like early in his career he might have survived something like that. It's not like 1940s or 50s Butte, Montana. Yeah, but people were kind of losing interest a bit. Well, yeah, he he and he very wisely kind of faded back into the woodwork a lot. Um, he had already stopped doing stunts. Yeah, but he he was still doing public appearances, but more as like a motivational speaker or something right. like that. This was where he like really began to retire. Yeah, he made his own movie in 1977 called Viva Knievel <laughs> with uh, Gene Kelly, sadly. And um, Wait, why? That Gene Kelly was in this. Gene Kelly's great. I know. It's sad for Gene Kelly. Oh, gotcha. He was in this garbage <laughs> I movie. See, I see. Okay. Uh, Lauren Hutton was in it. And um, and she's great, too. Evil Knievel played himself uh-huh. as Evil Knievel. And he was bad. And he his, his the plot was that he... Um, foiled Mexican drug traffickers, right? Yeah. He, I mean, it kind of opens. I mean, it was clearly him saying, like, this is a story I want to tell. <laughs> like, it opens with him, like, rescuing an orphan on his motorcycle out of a bad orphanage and, like, riding him out of there. <laughs> right. And then he foils crimes and... Forcing the orphan to make knockoff wallets. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, you know, he even charms... I think the thing in the review I read said he, quote, 
eventually charms the feminist reporter oh, assigned no. to him, which no. was Lauren Hutton. Really? <laughs> oh yeah. Wow. So he was one of those like, you know, what are you, what are you ladies? You writing a bad article on me? Watch this. <laughs> right. I'll charm the socks off of you. Right. Pants off. <laughs> Uh, it's worth watching a bit of that, or at least the trailer on I would online. definitely, I'd watch that movie for sure. I want to see the George Hamilton movie of him. George it's Hamilton? Yeah. As Evil Knievel? I'm sure even George Hamilton was like, me? Well, McConaughey for years was going to do a movie. Mm. And he would have been perfect, I think. He kind of so, had that look a little bit. Hey, man. And the swagger. Watch this. Yeah. <laughs> Pants hey, lady. off. Pants off. <laughs> but, um... Now I think that movie's been trying to be made for so many years now. It is currently Darren Aronofsky directing Channing Tatum as Evil Knievel. Ah, oh, really? So we'll see. Okay. I like Channing Tatum. I do too, but he's just got this um, vulnerability that I don't think even he's aware of that he brings to every role. and I don't think it belongs anywhere near Evil Knievel. Well, that's true, because he was, like, McConaughey would have been perfect. I think he would have. But Channing Tatum, he's he's one of those guys that did not want to like, but then it turned out like he was a pretty good actor mm-hmm. and funny and sort of self-deprecating. Right. Despite his looks. So I was like, ah, oh, I guess I do like this guy. Yeah. I got nothing against him. I just don't think he'd be a good evil Knievel. Yeah, I hear you. Well, he's an actor, though. He's an actor. He doesn't have to personify the role. Yeah, I guess if George <laughs> Hamilton did it, Channing Tatum can do <laughs> it, right? I, I think I've told this story before. One of my good friends said that he saw George Hamilton on The Tonight Show in the 70s, and Hamilton said that he never wore the same pair of socks twice. <laughs> yeah. He always wore a brand new pair of socks. Yeah. And my friend was like eight years old, and he was just thought that was the most... He's so like, rich. Yeah, like exotic, <laughs> wonderful thing of all time. And he still thinks about uh, George... I almost said Alexander Hamilton, of George Hamilton when he gets new socks and puts them on. He That's funny. George Hamilton. Nice. Uh, so Knievel ended up being married twice. His first wife, Linda, uh, 38 years. She hung in through the thick and thin. Uh, he divorced and then married a woman named Crystal Kennedy in 1999 for two years. They were married. Yeah, but apparently they've been together for a very long time. And so he like, was like, oh, while Mary. he was previously married, I believe so. Yeah. Um, I saw, I saw her, uh, described as his longtime partner. Yeah. So, like she helped him after, yeah, during his illness. And it was a sad thing at the end for his, his family and friends to see him that way. Right. Well, well, apparently they, when they were married for two years, they divorced and then reconciled and then lived together as friends. Um, but unmarried. They never remarried, but they stayed very close. Gotcha. Yeah. And he eventually died of, uh, well, what was it exactly? He died, oddly enough, of um, diabetes. Okay. Well, he had idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. So I believe he actually um, had a heart condition, is what it sounds like. No, a, a lung condition, a breathing problem. And I guess the impression that I have is that he just had just worn his body down. Yeah. But it wasn't like... Uh, he broke a bone or slipped on a banana peel or something like you'd expect, you <laughs> right. know? Yeah, and his when uh in any of the documentaries his friends and family talked about how sad it is when you see someone that lived mm-hmm. life like he did to mm-hmm. to be so sick and uh Yeah. And I, I think he converted to Christianity late in life and sort of 
Yeah, he was baptized publicly. Yeah, tried to come clean about not have done, having done the right thing mm. a lot of times and, you know, kind of the classic story. Yeah. Deathbed, uh, regrets. Gotcha. But he, uh, he became, I mean, he was a legend. He's an American legend for sure. Yeah, he was buried in uh, Butte uh, <clears throat> in 2007. And one kind of cool thing that happened, uh, he very much, they call him like the godfather of the X games because yeah. he ins- kind of inspired all that stuff. Yeah. And they brought him back to the X games, uh, before he died and paid tribute to him. And it was kind of cool seeing all these kids that were like, you know, like you're, you're the, the dude. Right. Like you are evil Knievel. Oh, you're, he got to experience that? Yeah, because oh, he, cool. he was kind of broke at this point and not doing well. And he saw all these people kind of, uh, paying homage to him and mm-hmm. saying like, you're the reason all this is here. That's cool. And I'm sure he was probably like, well, can I get a cut of it? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you uh, just said I was the reason. <laughs> right. You know, uh, Let me his, get my lawyer on the phone. His very famous, mostly white and red and blue jumpsuit. I've never heard anyone say it that way. And, uh, his motorcycle are in the Smithsonian. Yeah. Yeah. Good old white, blue and red. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's how true patriots say it. That's right. Uh, if you want to know more about Evil Knievel, you can't because there's nothing more to know because we said everything. Uh, but in, in, just in case you can type those words in the search bar uh, of your favorite search engine and it will bring up some really interesting stuff. And since I said search engine, it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this differential equations. Hey, guys, big fan. I was really excited on the latest show on chaos theory. Uh, maybe the most relevant episode in my line of work thus far. I'm a PhD student in mechanical engineering at Auburn University. Boo. Boo. And I'm currently instructing a class on system dynamics and controls. I can't believe you mentioned differential equations. been harping on my students on the importance of uh, the diff EQ, uh, <laughs> but it is a hard sell. Uh, it's not hard to believe, my friend. <laughs> uh, even more relevant was your decision on deterministic systems, uh, whereas my work deals primarily with determinism's evil relative uh, stochastic systems, randomness. <clears throat> My field of research involves state estimation, which, uh, put crudely, is the practice of applying uh, statistics to make a best guess of a system's state, <laughs> i.e. position, temperature, pressure, etc. Obviously. Uh, the beauty of estimation lies in its ability to use knowledge of a measurement's uncertainty or even the uncertainty in the initial condition for producing an optimal estimate. Uh, anyway, I could go on and on. I just want to say great show, great episode, great podcast. A side note was the Isaac Cream Newton bit, a nod to Wu Tang Clan. No, as in cash rules everything around me. C R E A M Cream. Get the money. Get the money. Dollar bills, bills, y'all. Dollar dollar bills, y'all. Right. That's from Dan. Dan's multi-talented. Yeah, he's into Wu Tang and uh, mechanical engineering. Yeah, at Auburn, and he's doing it all. Yeah, he's living, living the dream like Knievel, <laughs> yeah. Knievel style. Thanks a lot, Dan. Uh, we appreciate that. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash stuff you should know. You can join us on Instagram at SYSK Podcast too. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 